following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Listen, it's great to be with you all, and uh, I'm so impressed with the time of worship. Love that song that Angelica did there. Uh, you know, it all gets down to love, doesn't it? And uh, just a little quick uh, snapshot of my life, uh, ministry here in the Valley. I started in uh, actually ministering in 1969. Anybody alive at that point around here? Probably none of you. Well, there's a few of you that were around. And uh, I was a college pastor at Grace Community Church uh, for 10 years. And from there, I uh, was a part of a house church for another four years, and then went on to the Valley Vineyard in 1984. Any of you were alive at that point? Some of you. And then uh, I spent, uh, well, 28 years as the associate pastor at the Valley Vineyard. And, uh, but in the process of both going from grace, which was really, you know, knowing the scriptures, and moving into, you know, the, the Valley Vineyard, and was introduction into the ministry of the Spirit, it was really a lovely balance between what I got from Grace and what I received from the Vineyard, the ministry of the Spirit, as well as the importance of the Word, that foundation that I received at, the, at Grace. I remember when I was just young and new to Grace, um, I, I kind of bemoaned the fact that everybody there knew a whole lot more than I did. And I, I just felt like, they all know more than I do. And I was out to, uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, he used to work with McGee. You know, any of you know McGee? It's on the radio. And I, I was talking about this, you know, about the fact that everybody knows so much more than I do. And he said, uh, well, what do you want on your tombstone? Here lies Lynn Corey. He knew a lot. Or here lies Lynn Corey. He loved a lot. And then when I got to the vineyard and uh, began to grapple with the idea of the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, I again felt inadequate, like, they have it, I don't. And then the Lord started showing me things that in the Scriptures that re- revealed to me that it's a lot more than just the gifts of the Spirit, right? In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, at the end of the passage, into the chapter, he says, after he talks about the gifts, he said, I'll, I'll show you a more excellent way. And he goes into 1 Corinthians 13 and talks about love. And love really is the pinnacle of, of our whole pursuit in our relationship with God. And as God's love flows through us, or comes to us and flows through us, it's like a hose. Love only goes one way. God's love comes to us and goes out to people. In loving our neighbors. In fact, uh, the water doesn't go the other direction, does it? The love goes one way. And I'll even uh, challenge you to, to search the scriptures that the, the most significant way that you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love your neighbors yourself. You pursue that. Look through the scriptures. You will find. In fact, the Apostle John says, how can you love those God who you don't see if you don't love those who you do see. Galatians 5 says this, that all, all of the laws are wrapped up in this one thing, love your neighbors yourself. 
And that's really what the Lord has led me into, that loving our neighbor as ourselves is the most significant thing we can do. In fact, Jesus, when he was here on earth, when he, just before he left, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So love is critical. And so I want to give you that little snapshot. There's a whole lot more I could lay out to you with that, but it's so, such an important thing that love, God's love, needs to be flowing through us. In the Jesus movement, uh, probably one of the most significant things that was going on during the Jesus movement, yeah, there were an incredible amount. Any of you a part of the Jesus movement at all? Remember that? Some of you do. Probably one of the more significant things, there were a lot of concerts going on, uh, like today the worship is going on. But back in that day, what was going on was, yeah, there was the ministry of the Spirit. In fact, Calvary Chapel played a significant part in the Jesus movement. But you know one thing? I, I started doing kind of a cursory study of the, of the Jesus movement, and I could not find one location, not one location, where it took place, where it started. Costa Mesa was a significant one. I mean, Hollywood Press was another one. San Francisco was another one. But we right now, in the body of Christ, actually the church throughout our country right now is in major decline. But at the same time, there is something moving in God's Spirit. And I I believe with all my heart that we are in a place of great revival right now. And when I say revival, that the church is being revived, that the church is beginning to recognize who it is and what it's supposed to do because God's speaking to the church. And I want to say this, that during the Jesus movement, probably one of the more significant things that was taking place during the Jesus movement was an incredible pouring out of God's love through his people to the community. And people were attracted to that love. And because of that, they were drawn in to his, the kingdom. And I think it's very difficult for the church today to get away from just putting on programs and all these different things and hoping people will come. But that isn't really ultimately the answer. Is they need to know and experience our love. I mean, they need to experience it in that, on that softball field when you, when you put together a team and you're out there with them. They need to see that you're different. But your neighbors need to see it too. Your actual neighbors need to begin to see it. I want to show you something just on the screen if you want to put it up there. If you have it, if you can bring it up there. Go one more. This was down in San Antonio this last February. And I believe it's such a miraculous work of God this was a whole conference down at Oak Hills where Max Licato you know, is a pastor down there, Randy Frazee. But Tom Anthony is, is a person who is working to bring the church all across the country into us loving our neighbors. There's a lot of people right now across the country. But this photo right here is 165, almost all men, all men who are highly committed to seeing the neighboring go across our country. That's that's a lot of men. There were another hundred that wanted to be there. And these are pastors, pastors who lead, uh, you know, campus, uh, you know, sites and uh, multi-church sites. It it is an incredible move of God that God is doing right now. 
And I just want to encourage you with that. I mean, you sit there with all these people, and they want to see it happen. Loving your actual neighbor as yourself. I want you to look at this, the next one. This happened, I was, I was in Denver doing a seminar about five. Any of you read the book, The Art of Neighboring? Okay. There's a, there's a ministry that's called The Art of Neighboring, and it's, it was centered in Denver. They asked me to come back and do a, a conference there. Or actually, it was like a, a, a workshop, seminar. And what happened was there was 44 pastors that were meeting together. They were meeting regularly together. And uh, they asked me back there to just to hear about what we were doing in some of the neighborhoods we were working, at in, working with in the valley. What they ended up doing is releasing all of their people. The pastor said, we have worked together as, I mean, come together as pastors for years now, but what we want are people now to be able to mix with people from other congregations. I, I really believe that this is what the Lord is up to, big time, is that the whole church, and this is the vision statement for Neighborhood Initiative, the whole church taking the whole gospel, that includes the words of Jesus and the message of Jesus to the whole city, one neighborhood at a time. Got it? And so can you imagine, can you imagine this? If uh, every believer in the San Fernando Valley began to love their neighbors as themselves, what kind of impact we would have? Can you imagine if every believer in the San Fernando Valley began to see themselves as missionaries in their own neighborhood. Can you imagine if every small group in the San Fernando Valley became outposts for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what it would be like if the church began to actually work together to love one another and to minister to people out in the neighborhoods where we live? And then it would just spread where you work, where you go to school, but where does it start? It starts right in your own home. Loving your husband, loving your wife, loving your children. It's absolutely amazing when you began to see things with this way. This is what the early church did. They were highly committed, as Michael Green says in the book, Evangelism in the Early Church. They made a deliberate point of gaining whatever household they could so that the light of the gospel would begin to illuminate all around the communities where they lived. This is, this is, I want to give you an insight. This is what, what happened to the church. The church initially, Richard Halverson, he was a chaplain to, the, to the, the U.S. Senate. He said the church originally started as a fellowship of men and women who loved Jesus. They centered their life on Jesus then it went to Greece, and it became a philosophy. Then it went to Rome, and it became an institution. Then it went from Rome to Europe and became a culture. And it came, then it came to the U.S. and became an enterprise. See, we moved away from the, the home being the center for ministry. And the building, the building becomes the center. But when you have a place where you know, you're renting or whatever, it's difficult. Right? There's Brad Sarian, who's a pastor here in uh, Northridge. They, they meet in a school. So the building can't be centered. And you know, it can't be the center. And I'm not opposed to buildings. We have a wonderful building at the Valley Vineyard. 
But wouldn't it be great if the home, your home, became your center for ministry and everything moved out from that center? How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Okay, go with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. How's the kingdom of God? When we pray that prayer, how does the kingdom of God literally come in to earth? I mean, this wasn't a hopeful prayer that someday the kingdom would come, well, which we know that the actual kingdom will. I mean, the, the, one, the ultimate kingdom will come, but there's also a kingdom right now that comes. Did you ever think about when you're praying that prayer that the kingdom of God is inside of us, inside of you? And as you move out, you begin to bring the kingdom of God wherever you go. Jesus said this in, in Luke 17. He said, once I'm being asked by the Father when the kingdom of God would come, and Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. So one day you're going to observe the kingdom. You can see it. But right now the kingdom of God is invisible. It can't be seen. And Jesus goes on to say this, Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And Jesus, Jesus when He came, He brought the kingdom. But also the kingdom of God is in us. And when you begin to see that you, the kingdom of God is in you, in other words, if God is in you, is the kingdom there? Is it? Yes. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For God is at work in you both to will and to work, the will, I mean, both to will and to work uh, His good pleasure. So God is at work in us. In, in Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to Him who is able to, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is work at work within us. So where is the kingdom working? Where does this power reside? It's in us. And this is my conviction. I think we undersell who we are. Can I say that again? I think we undersell who we are. And I think when we begin to immerse ourselves in, in the world, in, in neighborhoods, we begin to influence we began to tra- see transformation of, a, of a, a neighborhood, of a community, or a city. This is in, in, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. I'm, I know you know this passage of Scripture, but I want you to see it in this light. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. You know that passage? That a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So the kingdom of God is like yeast. And what, what is yeast? Yeast is, uh, is, is something that's a living. It's a living cell. And it, it, some have suggested that when Jesus was giving this parable, that he was saying that the, 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 actually the, the dough, if you will, was about 60 pounds of flour. And so you just need how much, women, how much, how much yeast do you need to get into the dough and make it, transform it? How much? I, I have never baked, so I'm asking you. Okay, Chris, you just need a little bit, right? So you need just a little bit to begin to transform 
60 pounds of flour, add a little water, and what happens is that yeast is, is filled with living cells, and before long it will take over all of the, all of the dough and begin to, to just completely consume it. And the same is true what Jesus is saying here, that we are the, we, the kingdom of God is in us, and it only takes a little bit of us to begin to influence a neighborhood, a community, a city. And when we see, I remember a woman when I was in Denver speaking, she asked me, she said, how can, how can me, how, if I'm only working in my neighborhood, how can that impact Denver? I said, if you begin to love your neighbors as yourself, you will begin to influence, first of all, your neighborhood. That will begin to spread. And before long, it will spread to your whole city of Denver. Now, you saw the picture. That picture, I want to go back to that one. Go back one. <clears throat> if you could take it back one. Can you do that? There, what happened is when they released the, the, the people in the congregations to began to love their neighbor, they adopted eight homes, each one of them. And they also encouraged them to go to a website. This was the website uh, that Arda Neighboring had and put your first name and then also include your address. No phone number, no last name. And what, what they did was people started filling it out. They had over 3,000 people right, that did this. See, it's on the heart, I believe, of people in the church today to, to want to love their neighbor because God is moving in this way today. So what happened is people started signing up, and it was available to anybody in our country. And then it spread outside of our country as well. People from a variety of places around the world started signing up. Eventually, the website crashed. So they had to dump it. Because the, the church is in a place today where it wants to begin to love its neighbors as itself. Now, the enemy is well aware of, of the fact that if, if the church begins to become involved in the neighborhoods, in the community, then he, he's well aware that it will actually influence a whole city. So what he has done with the church, he's done this. He's kept it contained. He's contained the church in the building and with our programs so that we don't have time to spend time with anybody outside the church. And the only place you can start is start where you live, where you spend your time, whether it's with your neighbors, whether it's where you work, whether it's where you go to school, where you spend your time and began to actively begin to love them. <clears throat> there was a woman who, um, that we, we were going door to door a long time ago when there was Clean Up LA, and I think you guys were involved in that. There was a woman who had not talked to a neighbor in 30 years. And you say, that's, I had never talked to a neighbor in 30 years. And I, I know that's an extreme, but I, what I want to say is this that that's kind of where we are today in our valley. We are, we are so isolated. And who's, who's winning? The enemy. He's masterful at keeping us separated. So the question is, how do we begin to bring the kingdom of God into our world? 
in a supernaturally natural way. There's two things. One is called incarnation, and the second one is living a Kairos life. The incarnation, I'm just going to touch on it. But incarnation is essentially doing what Jesus did. It says, the word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. So Jesus left heaven. He left a perfect environment. And he entered in. He tabernacled with us. He set up his tent here. And he began to live among us. And that's really what incarnation is. And when the church begins to move away from the attractional approach, trying to get people to come to us, and does what Jesus did by going to them and spending time in relationship with them, then you're beginning to do what Jesus did. You're doing it in, you know, in, the, in the way he worked. In Eugene Peterson's book, Bible's uh, translation, the, the uh, master, I mean, it's the message Bible. It says this, the word became flesh and moved into, I love this translation, the neighborhoods. And see, that's where Jesus spent all his time in Capernaum, was with his neighbors. He was with them all the time. And so the second thing is living a Kairos life. And that is essentially living a kind of life the way Jesus lived his life when he was here. One is incarnation, but the other is is learning how to live your life in this world as he did. And Jesus, in, in, in John 5.17, he says this, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son, and he shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show him even greater things than these. I call this life that Jesus lived the Kairos life, and I'll explain why. There's there's two things that have really hit me strongly in my latter years of life. is one, how to live life like Jesus did, and how to love like Jesus did. And I'll just touch on the one, the, the Kairos life. Kairos life is the most exciting life you'll ever want to live. It's filled with adventure, and uh, it's filled with surprises. And uh, once you enter into living your life in this way, you'll never want to go back to the old way of living because you'll be living the way Jesus did. And I'm going to give you what is, what is kairos and, and how do you actively operate in the kairos life. First of all, I'm going to just explain to you, help you understand what kairos is. In Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, Paul says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the times for the days are evil. Now, that's the King James Version. For years, I interpreted that verse as, I want to make sure that I, I don't squander any time, that I, that I make the best of everything I'm doing, and I live a holy life. That, that, that's not bad. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. If you look with me to the, the NI translation, NIV, and other translations as well, but in Ephesians 5.14, he says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church. Wake up. Now, how do we wake up? He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise 
but as wise, making the most. And this is the, this is the difference right here. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, it, the word there is not time, but it, ha, it, it has to do with opportunity. And there's two words. There are two words that are in the New Testament for time. One is chronos, and one is kairos. And understanding the difference is critical because it is, chronos is linear. In other words, it's, it's how you live your life. And, and it has to do with our clock. Any of you driven by your clock? <laughs> Any of you, uh, it has to do with calendar. That, that's linear. It has to do with getting everything done. Any of you live in that world? got to get everything done. It has to, <laughs> it has to do with getting everything that's done on your things-to-do list, and you're driven by the calendar, the things-to-do list, things of that nature. And so that's the, essentially that's what uh, Kairos is, I mean, Kronos is all about. Remember in the story of the, and I'd love to go into this, but I don't have time to develop it. But in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan, remember the priest and the Levite? They were on their way after their temple services. They were on their way down to Jericho. And this is a parable that Jesus gave. And he gave this parable. And as, he's, as the two of them were walking by, uh, Jesus said there was a guy on the side of the road that literally, you know, almost late, it was, it was robbed and, and probably almost dead in the story. And then the two, the Levite and the priest, what did they do? They just walked on by. In fact, they walked around. But when, when the good Samaritan came by, he walked over near the person. And I, if I could develop it more, but I won't. But really, Jesus represents the good Samaritan. He was despised. And so was the good Samaritan. He was the one that actually reached out. So the question is, does our, does our world become so busy that we don't have time for the person on the side of the road or whoever it is or whatever situation arises? Now, kairos is, is, as I mentioned, an opportunity. In some cases, an opportunity can be a lengthy period of chronos. For instance, how many of you have children? How many of them are you're still raising See, that, you have an opportunity. You still have, you have kairos. You still have time to raise the children. But once they reach a certain age, the opportunity is passed. So some kairoses are lengthy periods of time, but often kairos are opportunities, are very short little opportunities that arise where you have an opportunity to, to, to do something about whatever it might be. When we begin to live our life by kairos, instead of chronos. Not to say that you don't try to get things done. I'm not saying that. But you're, you're open to kairos. You're open to opportunities that come along in your daily life. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus was available when the Father would give him an opportunity. He would, he would buy it up. He would redeem it. And that's what, that's what Paul says here. Redeem the opportunities for the days are evil. And if, you, if you're one who redeems the opportunities, then you're awake. Get it? If you don't redeem those opportunities, you're asleep. I'm asleep if we don't redeem them. And so they often, the Kairos opportunities come when we least expect them 
And they often come when we feel like we don't have enough chronos. You understand what I'm saying? I don't have enough time for that. But when you begin to live with that mindset, you, you actually miss out on the opportunities that God has for you. A good indication of how you respond to Kairos, and if you're living a Kairos life, is your attitude toward those opportunities. You're driving down the street, and you see that someone's car's broke down, or whatever it is. Even, even your radiator goes out. You go, I am so... This just didn't fit into my chronos today. And we, we get so upset, but then... But if you change your thinking and you begin to say, wait a minute, God, why did my radiator go out? Do you, is there something that you have in mind for me today in this moment because it just didn't go the way I planned? Who, who's running your life? See, we're not victims of circumstances. We have a God. We have a living God who's orchestrating everything in our lives. And if we tap into that, we began to live with Kairos. We, we began to be awake. We began to be wise in the way we live our lives. But if we have an attitude every time things go wrong, then we're going to miss out on what God is doing in the moment. What did, what did Joseph say after the whole scenario of Joseph with his brothers and he ended up you know, down in Egypt? And what did he say to his brothers? You meant it for evil, but God meant it What? For good. And my question is, how does God do that? I don't know. I honestly do not know how he pulls that off. But he does it. And if you begin to enter into that awareness of God's presence in everything that goes on in your life, you're awake. But if you're there with an attitude every time everything goes wrong, then you're missing out on what God's doing in the moment. You take the uh, next one. I want to say this. See, kairos, kairos is a point, whereas chronos is something that's linear, and God invites you into what he is doing. And you can turn it to the next slide. I was sick. It was a Monday, as pastors always have Mondays off. Well, at least we did. And uh, I had a sinus infection, and all of a sudden I, uh, I hear a knock at the door. You got a sinus infection, you're home in bed, and someone knocks at the door. Are you going to answer the door? Heck no, I am not going to answer the door. A little while later, I get a phone call from Andra across the street. She said, Lynn, look out your front door. The tree in the front of your house has come down on our house. And what happened was, this car there was a, a 1999 Camry. This gal was a, um, a house cleaner, and it, it was her first day of house cleaning in her whole life. And so she, she parked the car there. The wind was blowing. We live in Northridge, Puerto Ranch, and uh, the wind was blowing like 60 miles an hour. And the thing came down, the tree, like a 60-foot tree, came down and crushed her car. And I looked out, and I mean, I was amazed. I was, my video cameras are doing all the work, you know, and it was just great. But my neighbor, after that, you know, some days later, he goes, 
Let's turn this tragedy into something good. I go, oh, Lynn, that's what you should have done. You should have come off with that kind of a response. And so Paul and I together, he said, I know what we can do. We can cut up all the wood and sell it to the neighbors for firewood and other people will raise enough money. And I said, no, I, I said, also, I will uh, I'll contact Dennis McCarthy, the Daily News, which, which I did, and, and he wrote up a, a piece in the Daily News. Anyway, long story short, we raised enough money from people from Long Beach all the way to Valencia, along with, you know, no, no one bought the firewood. We, I just gave it to Paul and, and after we cut it all up, but... But money came in from neighbors, you know, $100 check here, whatever, enough to get her, you can go to the next slide, Alexis. So here, here is this situation that was just, you know, could have been looked upon as terrible. Fortunately, it didn't do much damage to our neighbor's house across the street, but it opened up a relationship between us. So how do we actively begin to operate in the Kairos life? I want to make sure I'm sensitive to time here. How do we operate in the Kairos life? And this is huge. And if you know Dallas Willard, probably nobody, but I know, I know Brian does. He is like a C.S. Lewis of our time and had passed away about three or four years ago. Good friend of mine. And Dallas, would, when I started with Neighborhood Initiative, he would, we were out to breakfast one time, and he said to me, he said, Lynn, I was just shocked. I mean, he, believe me, he's known worldwide. He was the head of the philosophy department at USC and just an amazing, humble, brilliant man. And he said, when we were out to to breakfast, he says, Lynn, don't allow anything I ever say to stop you from what you're doing. All right, Dallas. I mean, I I never thought anything. But he was just encouraging me to move forward with it. And then one time I was speaking on a Sunday morning, one of the things he always did is like to come up and sit on the front row, you know, and here's this guy, he's brilliant, you know. But anyway, he, he came up to me afterwards and he said, Lynn, don't stop what you're doing. If you keep moving forward with what you're doing, we'll see revival and awakening. Okay, okay, Dallas. I mean, I had no place to put it. But, I mean, you see that picture, you begin to see that God is moving. And it's not just through me, it's through his whole church. This is what, what's going on right now. And so one of the things that Dallas said to me that, that is so helpful to move you into the Kairos life, and this was his quote, he says, don't ever try to make anything happen. Is that profound? See, what we try to do in the church is try to make things happen as opposed to operating the way Jesus did when Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Get it? So we, we strategize. We have all our ways of what we're going to do. But what Dallas was emphasizing, that what you need to do is just rely upon the Lord. Don't try to make anything happen. And if you knew Dallas, he was not a self-promoter. didn't promote himself at all. And yet he was known by leaders all over the world. And people came to hear him. It was just amazing. Amazing individual. So on the one hand, Dallas is saying, keep moving forward with what you're doing, and we'll see revival. But on the other hand, don't try to make anything happen. So my question was, then if I don't, if I don't make anything happen, and, um, but I'm supposed to keep moving forward, how do I do that? 
And this is what the Lord showed me. You can put those up there because these are, these are on that prayer card that you got, uh, the, the four points there. Actually, yeah. And that is, I, every Tuesday morning, I pray through my neighborhood. I pray for my neighbors by name. And I pray for them. And then I, I wait, and then I watch. So when I wait, I wait with expectation, anticipating that I've prayed, therefore God is going to move. It, it, I mean, he said if we pray, he would... If we pray in his will, he's going he's to respond. So we, we, we wait with anticipation. Not like, oh my goodness, will he ever do anything? No, he, he is going to do something. And I am, going, I am going to wait on him until he shows me what he wants me to do. This is in my neighborhood. But every day I pray for, I pray for the... Uh, every, each day I have a different thing that I'm praying for. Like uh, on Fridays I pray for all the churches and pastors outside of that I know outside the valley. Thursday, I pray for all the valley pastors, all the people here. I mean, I don't pray for every one of them, but I, I pray for them. And on, on Tuesday, I pray for our vineyard. But on Thursday, I'm, I'm praying for you guys. And then on, on, on Tuesday, I pray for ours. And then Monday, I pray for my immediate family. Uh, Tuesday, I pray for my neighbors. I got it all screwed up, but that's all right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, and so I pray on, and wait and watch and, um, and then I join him when he shows me what he wants to do. It takes all the guilt out. It, does, it takes away the burden, you know, the heavy yoke. I'm, I, I'm in the easy yoke with Jesus. You know? and, and it's so freeing to live life that way because then he gives me assignments, things that he wants me to do. And it, it's, such a, it's such a joy to do it that way. You can go to the next uh, slide there. This is Andra. She lives next door, to, across the street from us. She's the one that told me about the tree that came down. She was an actress, and she writes screenplays, and she, does, she evaluates scripts and things like that. One morning, I was standing out, uh, actually sitting out. Um, I was in the front of our house. It was late at night, or maybe I mean, late, but it was about 8 o'clock. And she's in the front of our house, and she's... She's got, I said, what's going on, Andra? And she said, well, Benny's in there. She's looking for imaginary cats. He's looking for imaginary cats. Well, that morning, I asked the Lord, is pray, wait, pray, wait, and watch, and join him? Is that just a foolish exercise? Or is that really what you have in mind for me to do? You know, I'll stop this exercise of praying for my neighbors. Well, that night, when she was outside, she came right up in front of me. She says, Lynn, I, I'm, right now I am evaluating the script for the sequel to The Passion of the Christ. And she sent me the... the uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a, the sequel that you, you know, Mel Gibson did, but it was another one. It was kind of a sequel to it. We started talking about the resurrection. And I thought to myself, Lord, I know what you're trying to tell me. This little exercise that I'm doing is really something that you want me to do. And I have continued to pray and to wait and to watch and to walk. And my whole life is filled with experiences with God that I cannot tell you. I, even Brian saying, Lynn, can you come? Where did that come from? Because I prayed and I waited and I watched. And then I joined him. 
I won't, I won't promote myself, but I'm here because I believe that God wants to move through his people. And I am so excited about it. Now you might ask me, you say, is this whole idea of pray, wait, and watch, is that enjoying him, is, is that biblical? Look at Colossians 4, verses 2 through 5, and I'll just read it. Devote yourself to prayer. So in other words, be continual in your prayer. Then he said, and, and in that is the idea of the scripture, uh, it carries the idea of being wait to wait in prayer. Wait, uh, devote yourself to prayer being what? Watchful. And then it says, with thanks and with thanksgiving. Or be, and be thankful. So when God works, through your prayer, wait and watch, you know, and you join him, then when God does something, you're just thankful. God gets all the glory. When you come up here and you share stories about what God is doing in your neighborhood, it's because God did it. It wasn't something I somehow strategized to make happen. God worked through it. He says, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. And what does he say? Make the most of every kairos. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Sorry, should I should have to go up earlier. I want to just share something in closing here. I hope I, I hope I kind of captured your attention of the kind of life that you can live uh, with the Lord that is so freeing. There's a, something I wrote in a... Um, see if I can find it here. This was in a, a book that I that just come out. And it, it, uh, it talks about just the... I don't know, looks at, looks at our life as, as children. I think one of the, the most destructive things that happened in the fall of man was that we moved away from being children and we moved into being our own gods, trying to control our own lives and, and trying to, to make things happen in life. And so when Jesus said, he said this, unless you become as a little child... You can't enter the kingdom of God. So the way in to relationship with the Father is becoming like a little child again. See, when you have a childlike relationship with the Father, then you're, you're, you're talking to Him, and you're communicating with Him as a child. And you're conversing with Him. Father, I would like to see this person come to know You. Lord, could you open the door for me? Could you make something happen? I'm waiting on you, Father. Would you, would you do something that, that would really change the life of this person? And I'll watch, Father. I'll watch you. And I'll begin to see what you're doing with this person's life. Because I know, Father, you're always at work. Because that's what Jesus said. You're always at work. Oh, I see what you're doing, Father. I now want to join you in what you're doing. Living the Kairos life with the Father is like a little kid who is waiting for his dad to invite him on a new excursion with him. He knows that only dad can drive the car. 
And he waits for his dad to say, come on, kid. I have a wonderful surprise for you. Let's go. And off they go together with dad in the driver's seat. This is the Kairos life, becoming like a child and enjoying the ride with dad on an amazing journey through life. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share with these sweet people. Thank you for their attentiveness. Thank you for uh, just being able to share my heart with them about what you've shared with me and the kind of life that we can live together with you. And I, I want to pray, Father, that you would bring them into your love, that they would experience the fullness of your love and that your love would flow through them and flow through them to one another. And Lord, that your love would flow out to the neighbors that live right outside our door. Lord, I pray that you would empower us. I pray that we would catch what you're doing in our day, that we wouldn't miss it. Because what you're doing is significant. And we just want to acknowledge you right now and give you glory for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.